Hey guys, um, welcome to tonight's episode, which is episode 19, and we will be discussing Star Trek is the next frontier. Uh, tonight we are joined by Julian, Matt, and Rowan, um, so I'll get you guys just to say hi. Hi. Oh, <laughs> uh, Julian, again, it's an audio, it's an audio medium, Julian, so you're, uh, you're, you're Vulcan. It is a Vulcan, right? That's Vulcan, I got yeah. that right? Awesome, Great. sweet. This is a really, I'm seeing my bar for Star Trek knowledge at the moment. Um, that's not going to translate too well to the listeners, so. <laughs> hey guys, uh, Julian, casual fan. And can enjoy hearing uh, Rowan spill the beans tonight. I don't know if I'm going to be spilling that many beans. We'll see. Uh, my name is Rowan. Sorry, I just uh, jumped in there. Uh, yes, I'm the the other Star uh, franchise person. Uh, so I love Star Trek. And <laughs> I love Star how Gates. you pause that I'm the other Star and then <laughs> continue. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that's why I, that's why I laughed. I was like, oh, the way you perfect timing, like perfect. <laughs> I'm working on my comedic timing, guys. Uh, yeah, so I, I love Star Trek. I love Stargate. Uh, Star Wars, I'm all right with this. But, you know, these are my two passions. Uh, so we're going to talk about Star Trek, which is going to be a lot of fun, I think. And Matt? Yep, uh, along for the ride. My mother was a big Star Wars fan and then uh, introduced me to the world of Star Trek. And, and she was a big Trekkie back in the day. So, um, so she's kind of... Uh, Probably going to listen to this episode. Hi, Mum, if you're listening. Um, but uh, I'm actually keen to, to see what, what uh, Rowan, who are, who are resident Trekkie, has got to say. So, yeah, all aboard. Let's go. Awesome. Um, was with a warm-up, uh, what's everyone been up to in the last couple of weeks? I think it's been about two or three weeks, Rowan, since we last spoke with you. Yeah. God, what has been happening? Oh, I, I have been sick. So I haven't actually done too much. I lost my voice uh, for... Um, a few days, um, or about I think three days, and I've only just kind of got it back um, over the last four or five days or so, where it's good. Um, I went. What did I? I've seen some movies recently. I saw the Marvels. I enjoyed it for what it was, um, and then I saw uh, uh, the new Hunger Games, um, which was interesting because I, I really I dug that. Yeah, I. It made me want to see more from that universe from around that time because i want to know how the president snow how he got to how he is effectively like i want to see that transition of how he made the games more what they are um but i'd also like to see the war that started the whole thing yeah because that'll be interesting yeah yeah i think that'll be an interesting period too so i just want want to throw in the hunger games um i was amazed that 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 film was so blatantly about endorsing uh fascism and totalitarianism and it was unashamedly like, yeah, it was, I was, re- I, I was genuinely taken aback by like yeah. the tonal direction that that movie took. Cause it's not every day where the Nazi's the good guy. Um, <laughs> so like it was, it was an interesting film. <laughs> Is he the good guy at the end? Uh, well, <laughs> maybe that just says more about my own. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about Rebel Moon when that comes out about that kind of, uh, through line there. Um, Yeah. Anyway, uh, and then I haven't really... I've picked up the la- the latest season of Destiny. Uh, it's the last one before they go on to the new thing that they've delayed. Um, and, yeah, just been watching a heap of TV while I was sick. So, yeah, that's oh. what I've been doing. Oh, man. Uh, Julian? Recently, I finished Resident Evil 1 Remastered and 3 Remake. Just for... Yep, thank you, boys. Yep, awesome. 
Uh, respect. Resident respect. Evil 1. Sorry, mate? Respect. <laughs> the first Resident Evil has probably the best atmosphere out of any game I've played, and this is a 2002 game. Uh, I, I can't think of many games these days that can match that level of immersion. Um, and on the flip side, I've been watching Ted Lasso as well, two extremes of the, you know, the, the happiness and uh, morbidness. Uh, Ted Lasso is wonderful because it's unflinchingly positive, but at the same time, there is this undercurrent of um, sarcasm. It's it's just bubbling beneath the surface, and it's, it it rears its head and then immediately goes back down. So if you're if you're you've got a darker sense of humor, you can latch onto that moment, but then go back into the positive stuff instantly. Um, so it's a nice little balance tonally. So I really enjoy that. Mm-hmm. Highly recommend. Uh, Matt, uh, I've been. I was going to say playing Zelda. But I've been playing Mario Kart, the new uh, the new tracks that, that's recently come out um, on the Switch. We're playing a little bit of that. Uh, working on a few cars. Almost got my my little nineteen seventy car on the road. It's a couple of tiny little things to do, and then it should have it all good. Um, so yeah, that's been pretty much where I've been. Um, so yeah, that's that's pretty much me. Just busy with work, wrapping up soon, but still fight out. So, what about you, Reese? Um, yeah, had a, a bit on the last couple of weeks. Um, last episode we did was on Dungeons and Dragons, so had a bit of a good chat with Curtis last week about that, which I still haven't edited that episode yet. So sorry, Kurt. Um, I I also saw the Hunger Games prequel movie, and sort of said just before, I actually I, th- I found that to be way better than I thought it was going to be. Um, I, I I honestly didn't even know it was coming out. I just got to- asked if I wanted to go, and I'm like, yeah, sure. So that that movie really impressed me. Um, been playing uh quite a bit of Cyberpunk. Um, so I've kind of hit a point now where I'm going to grab the DLC and add that into my playthrough because I'm I'm roughly at the point where the DLC would be accessible now. Um, but that that game is phenomenal. I've, I've I've decided I'm going to sort of take a bit of a break on the story missions, and I'm just going to start doing the side quest content and just start to flesh that out. Uh, but yeah, because I'm kind of I, I think I'll probably get 50, 60 hours out of my first playthrough of this game. So I'm yeah, really really digging it. Um, I upgraded my iPhone last week, and the only reason why that's noteworthy is because I've now got rid of all the lightning cables in my life. Um, so that's as an Apple fanboy, my, my vow to myself was, was that I would not buy another Apple product for as long as it had the lightning cable. So I can finally cleanse those bloody things from my world. So I'm very happy about that. Um, and yeah, that's, that's really been about it. I started watching Loki last week, uh, which I've only, I was only about 10 minutes into it. So it's certainly, I've, yeah, I've got to actually sit down and do it properly. So that will be some of my, my commute over the next couple of days is going to be Loki and cyberpunk on the steam deck. Um, but I, I think it's probably worth noting at this point, uh, just to give a shout out to clearly our biggest secret fan, um, Christopher Nolan, um, for directly, <laughs> uh, oh, sorry, indirectly quoting our conversation from, uh, an episode from about two weeks ago. So, um, Chris, uh, thank you. It would be nice if you shared where you got your inspiration from for Watchmen. Um, but you know what? That's okay, mate. I'm not going to be too bitter or cynical about the, uh, the, the, the plagiarism. That's fine. You, you produced enough good artistic content. So, <laughs> um, no, no, dude, BS, you are going to be bitter because he's <laughs> taking your plug. 
<laughs> so uh, just for just for context, Chris, if you are still listening, um, this is in reference. You know, maybe maybe it's snuck beneath your subconscious. I'm not gonna. I don't know. You're clearly a busy man making amazing films, and Oscar season's coming up. Um, but the the inception of your comment around Watchmen. Um, was clearly derived from a conversation that we were having three weeks ago on this <laughs> podcast. So I just, I, I appreciate that we're all, all thinking the same way, but I, clearly how many people on the planet at any one time are thinking about how good Watchmen was 15 years ago? Because you know as well as I do that Zack Snyder sure as hell isn't. So yeah, anyway, I'm not bitter about it. It's, it's good that we have a high-reaching, high-profile fans, but you know, just it would be nice if we got a bit of a shout-out because I would like to at least earn one cent of ad revenue from this podcast at some point. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Um, guys, uh, anything else before we, we jump into tonight's episode? Uh, we went and saw uh, oh, no. the um, Polian race. Oh yes, we did. We saw Napoleon on Saturday night. Thank you for reminding me. Um, Yes, that was uh, that was good. Actually, I I dug it. It was insanely historically accurate in places that I would not expect, and it was ridiculously historically inaccurate in very obvious places. Um, So that was was some brave brave directorial decisions. I'm going to give it the benefit of doubt, and I think that the longer like four to five hour version is probably the superior cut somehow. Because there was definitely stuff from the movie where it could have used more time to breathe, but um, I think I think while whacking oh not whacking Phoenix yeah whacking Phoenix was it yeah uh, I yeah I wasn't super impressed as him as Napoleon um but uh his wife was brilliant so Vanessa Kirby was absolutely superb Mm. as um as his wife um but yeah that was good movie man did you did you enjoy it Matt I actually did yeah like I. I didn't really, it didn't feel as long as it was. Like, I was like, wow, this is actually quite a long movie. Um, and yeah, like, yeah, um, the lady that played his wife was unbelievably good, like, yeah. in, incredibly good. Um, and Napoleon looked, <laughs> I, so to put some context for you, like, I, I knew, I knew a little bit about Napoleon, but I didn't realize how much about Napoleon. Yeah. Um, so, um, it was good to fill in some gaps, and obviously, some bits were a bit, a bit how you going in terms of historical accuracy. Um, but it was, yeah, it was, I, I quite enjoyed it. Um, I, what I do want to see the, the four hour version cause I'm, I just felt like the first 30 minutes and I'm not giving any spoilers here, but like they kind of just, um, cut, like it was just like chop, 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 chop to like kind of get through all these major points in, in, in history, um, to when he kind of gets the power. Um, I would have liked to have seen a little bit more about that. Um, but, but yeah, apart from that, I was, I, yeah, I, I, I'd go watch it again. I want to watch the four hour one. To be fair, though, um, his time, I know this is a weird thing to say, but like those episodes were very much historically like that. So there was weird Mm. things where you would have like the event for how he becomes emperor. The movie almost did that point for point. Like that was historically like 100% correct. Um, So there was really weird stuff in the film that like it was verbatim. Like they're literally quoting documented lines that he said and relationships that he had but then there's other stuff in the film like that was the worst depiction of the battle of waterloo i've ever seen in my life um it was horrendously just badly executed but the circumstances around the battle like the stuff that's happening with like the prussians and all of that that's 100 percent accurate so there was like really weird stuff where they made almost like i don't know how to describe it julian but it was almost like 
lazy directorial decisions to try to limit the scale. Like, I think they just ran out of budget. Um, and they wanted to try to do something that was like, you know, 200,000 men shooting across each other, field from each other, like a muddy field. And then it, it looked like a really bad, just a really, really bad, like, you know, LARPing event or like one of those like American Civil War reenactments. Like the quality just went downhill when it came to actually showing the battles. Um, and like, I get stylistically they were trying to do something, but they were sort of leaning they were leaning more into the stylistic component of the character as opposed to the historical event where at that sort of point you would have thought that they would have gone for more of a Les Miserables type thing and just tried to do the grandeur, which they just they just really didn't do that, particularly at some odd moments. But then you fast forward like five minutes later and he is verbatim having conversations with children that literally happened. So it's just bizarre. Like it's absolutely bizarre the 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 way that they did it but good movie so i highly recommend watching it rowan if you get the chance um yeah and whacking things like he was he was really good but vanessa kirby was superb absolutely just brilliant unreal, unreal yeah okay well i'll look it up yeah it's on um it is on apple tv as well so you have that it's um it's part of the apple tv service i do yeah yeah we'll check it out over the weekend probably yeah or wait for the five hour cut which i think is coming out next month i think there is a director's cut coming out next month on apple tv so yeah, that's mm. probably when I'm going to check it out again. I do, I do want to rewatch Oppenheimer at the moment. I've had, I've had an inkling for that one on um, 4K, so I think I might treat myself to that over the Christmas break and do that one afternoon again. Oh, cool. Star Trek, Rowan, Grace. <laughs> Firstly, <laughs> how many, how many Star Trek shows are currently on the air? As of today. Okay. As of today. Uh, okay, so... Right, we have uh, Picard. Yeah. We have uh, Star Trek Picard, which is on Prime. We have... Uh, which... Uh, sorry, Prime slash Paramount. Um, then we have uh, Lower Decks, which is top-notch animation. Like, it's phenomenal. Um, we have... Uh, it's kind of like a... Almost like Family Guy-ish type... Uh, Rick and Morty kind it's, of it's stuff. It's Seth MacFarlane, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, then we've got uh, Strange New Worlds, um, and we have Prodigy. Did I say Prodigy? Star Trek Prodigy is another animated one. However, that's was cut, but it's kind of still there because it's now gone to going to Netflix. Um, and then there's a questionable if Discovery is still included in that list um, because it is it has been announced for season five but there's been no word on it yet um, so I think it's a little bit on hiatus um, as of last year um, but we'll see so there's there's this the, apparently Paramount has a rule of uh, I think it's four or five Star Trek properties going at once so we won't get any other shows until one of those officially finishes and there's a few that are waiting in the wings for that to happen so, okay, question then. Is Star yep. Trek dead? No. No, okay. So, <laughs> no, and, and, no. And, and I mean that, I'm not trying to be flippant about that, but you, you constantly see this like ongoing conversation and dialogue that Star Trek is dead, you know, the movies are over, or it's, its appeals getting less and less, but, but yeah, on the same token, it seems to have five concurrent streaming shows happening at once. So, yeah. Is, is that because that Star Trek, depending on similar to Star Wars, I guess in an extent. And I promise I'm not going to say the Star Wars word, but is it 
is it one of those things that it, it has an appeal to different audiences because you've got your Chris Pine, J.J. Abrams reboot movies or soft reboot movies and then you have mm-hmm. your legacy series, the stuff 60s and 80s and 90s and then you kind of have the contemporary stuff because there was a period for... It would have been the 2000s where it was Star Trek was a bit of a um like I don't want to say it was a joke but it was kind of a, you know yesterday's news. Yeah, absolutely. Um so I don't believe it's dead. I also in in reality like I'm just going to use the other Star franchise other two actually. Um so Star Wars does uh it is currently dead, but I just say it's on hiatus. Like really they're going to come back to it at some point. There's that guy that's going to do the three other Sorry, I movies, to, whatever. I'm sorry, but it's one, um, one second. I don't mean to cut you off at one second. Uh, for the visual listeners, then Julian <laughs> just showed his Star Wars mug, but what he also showed was that unfortunately he is the only person buying Star Wars merchandise because it's only millennial boys that are doing it. And so, Star <laughs> Wars is effectively dead because no one under the age of 26 gives a fuck about Star Wars. <laughs> I think that's kind of like why they've diversified the the shows that. Uh, Star Trek is doing at the moment because you've yeah. got Lower Decks which is animation but it appeals to the adults like there's the and it also appeals to kids but it's got the adult jokes in there that kids just don't yeah. get right and then it's a bit crazy at the same time Prodigy is uh, definitely aimed at that kind of teen tween kind of age group um, Lower Deck uh, sorry uh, Strange New Worlds is aimed at kind of that old school Star Trek the original series type people that love that because that's just chef's kiss like it's beautiful it looks great it references the original series it's set before the original series as well so they kind of have to toe the line in terms of not stuffing with the the history Mm. of that um and then you've got discovery which is kind of that um newer uh star trek star warsy type show it is very different to what people were used to in terms of Star Trek Deep Space Nine, Voyager, Enterprise, um, and all that kind of stuff. It is was very different and somewhat polarizing in season two. Jules, correct me, it was the Red Angel season two, yeah? I think most people loved season two. It was season three where season three. everyone cared about the tone and just the lack of yeah. Sense. So I'd, I'd heard um, people didn't like season one of Discovery as well because it was just too different. Um, and because it was... Because there's this whole thing about the the Kelvin timeline and all this other jazz with J.J. Abrams and how, like, splitting, splitting timelines. And they were trying to use Discovery to bring it all back together in a way. Um, and it wasn't really apparent to fans at the start that that's what they were trying to do. Um, so things were like, well, how did that ship exist at the same time as this ship? Because we've never heard of this. So it was a little bit all over the shop. But um, I think with the Star Trek brand, there is properties for each generation to enjoy. Um, and it does cross generations as well, I believe, because of the the social commentary that it has. Like, it's kind of come up when... This is going to be so... Um, left wing of me it's uh, it's come at a time when uh we really need to hear some of these stories mm. to talk about the social commentary that's happening at this point in time because it's a good way to look back at how we are um changing as a society and our responses to that and then to see it on tv it makes you think about it a little bit more in a different way 
Uh, just for reference, Rob, please don't ever be uncomfortable with putting a left-wing view forward. I am blatantly <laughs> aware of how overtly right-wing I am and my friends are, so please do not be... <laughs> don't yeah. ever be uncomfortable putting a left-wing <laughs> view forward. <laughs> yeah, because Reese is just going to edit you out anyway later, so... <laughs> yeah. Just me, just to my face and just... Yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah, so, I mean, I think it's... I think it, it, it does appeal across generations. Um more so because of the, the different types of um, media that it puts out as well. So um, the animation style between Prodigy and Lower Decks is vastly different. One is CG, one is hand-drawn type style. Um, and then like Picard is that dramatic um, show that's kind of more dramatized, um, shot really well. Um, and... It's, I don't know how to explain Picard, but it's just, it's a, uh, it, that is probably the biggest social commentary that we have at the moment in that, in that series, I reckon. Um, and then Strange New Worlds is just a bright, vibrant, old school, 60s style looking set, but modern. Um, and I just, yeah, I love it all. I think it's great. So just sort of talking about the, um, the visionary social commentary side of Star Trek. I've got a question I kind of just want to throw out to you. And again, anyone, anyone, please feel free to, to, to chime in as well too. But um, Star Trek has often been praised for its, its visionary social commentary. Um, going back to some of the very progressive things that it was doing in the 60s with the topics that it was talking about in terms of uh, race relations, sex relations, um, it very deliberately used Star Trek as a it was used as a tool to talk about things that were of importance to a lot of people at the time, but because of the sort of the, I don't want to say censorous nature of TV because I don't think that's entirely fair, but there was definitely a cultural standards that a lot of shows were adhering to because they didn't want to mess with the potential advertisement dollars that would come out of it. So I was sort of just wondering just if you could sort of just talk about, you know, how do you think the show has effectively mirrored or commented on real world society issues for our social issues throughout its various incarnations? Okay. So um, I guess the first one is obviously to start with the original series. Like, So, so sorry, Captain I have Kirk. to go sort Mason out, but please keep going. Oh, I'll be back as soon as I can. Sorry. Um, so uh, Captain Kirk um, uh, and his crew. So you had the first black woman on television. So that gave... Uh, young black girls who um, that character also inspired Whoopi Goldberg in her career because she at one point is quoted saying to her mother at a young age like look mum there's another black woman on TV and she's not a not a maid I want to be like that Um, which also did inspire her to go on to um, Next Generation and play Guyane on that show which was and she's also in Picard as well now Um, uh, so that was um, something that was quite good and um, the way in which it presented the different races, because you have... So, let's. I'm going to backtrack soon. So, you had uh, Michelle Nichols in first season of Star Trek Enterprise, uh, Star Trek the original series. Before her, you actually had a woman playing Kirk's boss. So, when Kirk's boss, and this is pre-Star Trek, um, kind of like in the pilot, things like that, uh, when Kirk got into a bit of trouble in the cage, his boss came in and she was female. And to have a female boss was just unheard of in that time and age um so that starts there and then once they um got the green light for the actual series then michelle nichols came in as uhura 
um, was prominent on the show as the communications officer. Um, and then you also had the introduction of Sulu, who was a pan-Pacific American, who the actor George Takai was um, kept in a concentration camp during the war after bombing of Pearl Harbor by the Japanese. So mm. his um, whole life story is just, it might be phenomenal to see how he's kind of used that as um, uh, a progressive part in his uh, his acting and all that, bringing it through. However, I will touch on the new J.J. Abrams Star Trek where they made it him gay because George Takai was gay. He's, sorry, made Sulu gay in the movie because George Takai was gay. Not a fan of that because that's not how it was portrayed in the actual uh, series. Even George Takai's not a big fan of that, but whatever. Um, and then uh, in response to the Russians during the Cold War or, or during that era, they said that a, no Russian will ever be on Star Trek because even though Russians were the first in space, no Russian will ever be on Star Trek. So they deliberately went out and found a Russian... Um, American to play um, Chekhov um, in for uh. season two, so they introduced a uh, Russian American in season two. So to try and um, bring all that in, so they were representing majority of um, the population in America um, and how things were working at that point in time. So that's the original series. Then um, you've got uh, Next Gen, who had um, Worf, who was a Klingon, half Klingon, half human. Um, so the comment, oh no, sorry, he was just Klingon. Um, I'm getting my characters mixed up because there's too many of this type of thing. Um, so that was, yeah, so you had Worf, who was Klingon, um, on the bridge. Uh, also another black actor on the bridge as well. So not only was he black, but he was also an alien. Um, that was very similar to humans, for those that don't know. Klingons are human-like, but not quite. Um... And you also had uh, introduction of later in this this season's um, Seven of Nine, who was a a Borg character. It was also another commentary on um, changing. Uh, oh, sorry, and the other one, Data, as well, was actually quite a big character. They did a lot of stories on the um, the human rights and things like that. So. I shouldn't really talk about the characters. I should talk about what they actually talked about, which is like, so they actually talked about um, drugs and addiction. They talked about labor. They talked about genocide. They talked about colonization. They talked about gender, the right to life and death. Race was a huge one, as I have demonstrated with the characters I talked about earlier. Um, and then also like no-win scenarios and um, getting into bed with people that are not quite good. So teaming up with your enemies to fight someone else and then not being happy with that team up because, you know, they do something else that you don't like. Um, Fast and Furious prove that teaming up with your enemies just solves the problem uh, whenever there's a future villain, right? So absolutely. why would try to ruin that, that perfect mantra? Yeah. Um, yeah, and then there's also things like they talk about ageing and, you know, trying to um, slow ageing process and what that does to the population and yeah, there's barren populations and stuff on some planets because they've stopped that, but now they can't have kids because by stopping aging process stops your reproductive abilities and things like that. So they are, they are actually dying, but they can't repopulate their, their world um, and things like that too. And then um, uh, they also do talk about, which is kind of a little bit current, but this happened um, in, Oh, I want to say, Kirk's era. It probably happened in all the eras. Um, 
uh, of automation and like AI and stuff like that. So AI is becoming more prominent now. So looking back at those type of things that Kirk had to deal with, um, uh, even um, on Voyager, Star Trek Voyager, they talked about that as well. And they had a big thing with the Borg as well. Um, so there's, there's a whole heap of commentary on all these different topics that they just kind of needed to talk about at that point in time, because quite frankly, Roddenberry's original creation was very left-wing. They dealt with all these kind of topics before anyone would even touch it um, because he really wanted to make a social commentary on what was happening within the world and he wanted to make changes or show that it can be changed and be better. So that's kind of flown the whole way through the series overall. So again, you've got, as I said, you've got um, original Star Trek, you've got Enterprise, you've got Voyager, you've got Deep Space Nine, um, you've got the current ones as well. I mean... Some people do throw in Babylon 5, which is a totally different franchise, but because they wanted to do Star Trek, but they weren't allowed to, they did Babylon instead. Uh, <laughs> so does, does it feel like a Star Trek? They do talk about similar topics and subjects within Babylon 5. It's a little bit... I want to say it's a little bit more grittier, but I, this is going back because I haven't watched it in years. Because um, I don't think it's that easily accessible from what I've looked at, but yeah, they do talk about all this kind of stuff. Um, they do also have more characters that are um, commentaries on social uh, issues at that point in time. So um, there's a, a character, uh, Odo, who is a, a shapeshifter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just the struggles that he has because he's not seen as a, a human type person because he's quite... You probably would have seen him around, but he's got like a very flat, plastic-type face. Um, but yeah, so I, I kind of, like you guys say, the uh, first J.J. Abrams Star Trek movie is Star Wars. I say Babylon 5 is Star Trek. Like, it's that kind of thing to me. Um, and I think, yeah, there's just, there's so many things that you could talk, you could talk for hours. And I know we don't have hours, because that's going to bore everyone. Um, a good po- co- podcast goes no longer than an hour, so I'm just going to try and keep it short and sharp. So I'm going to go on to... Do you guys have any questions about any of that stuff? Like, is there something you specifically want to know about? Why did they um, decide to go for down that route of, like, trying to, you know, to, to do things like that? Was it, did they feel like there was a niche in the market or were they just trying to be really experimental to, like, um, put a put a black person in there? You know what I mean? Like, Or, or, or were they trying to, you know... You know, this is what we're doing. This is we don't care if we we hire this person. Let's just put them in. Um, was there was there an ulterior motive? Like, did they want to do it? They're like, no, we want to show black people on, on this show. And and, and um, is that kind of like because they do talk about big topics as you were saying. Um, mm. So do you think that do you, do you think that's a, um, that's just always been a always been a, like a direct rule about Star Trek? Like, talk about the big issues. It it has been a indirect rule always, um, mm-hmm. because Roddenberry wanted to do it. He wanted mm-hmm. to talk about the social issues at the time. Um, and, uh, like, initially the pilot was the the female boss of Kirk, which was unheard of um, at that point in time. And then once they got the green light to add Uhura, who, reflecting the current society of... They don't have jobs. They, they're maids. They're the behind-the-scenes people. They don't do this stuff. Like, we don't see them. Uh, I mean, and you look at it now, like the U.S. The U.S. has labour uh, race quotas in their jobs 
child, like in their organizations, like they have to have a certain amount of black people and Asian people and all that kind of stuff within their company, um, which to me blows my mind because that would never cross my mind if I was to hire someone. I would never even consider their race. I'd be like, just hire the right person for the job. Like, whatever they are, I don't care. If it happens to be a person of color or I'm like, great. But I wouldn't say I have to hire, well, I have had a manager in the past who said, oh, we must hire a female for this role to meet gender, gender quotas. And I'm just like, but why? Like, they are not the best person for the job. It's that person now. Mm. But, you know, that fails. But Roddenberry was like, no, no, we have to talk about these things. We must talk about these things because otherwise things will never change. Mm. Yeah, I remember, like, my mom's like, my mom always said to me that yeah, Star Trek was always the show that made you think. Yeah. Um, and um, and that was, uh, and I, that's always, you know, kind of um, you know, rung in my head for every time, every time I think about Star Trek. I'm like, oh, it's, a, it's a show that, that makes you think. So, um, yeah, it's actually really cool that they've done that. That's, that's awesome. Cool. cool. Sorry, guys. Uh, back, sorry. Oh, what, uh, what are we talking about? We're going to go on to question two unless Jules has a question. Ah, cool. No question. Awesome. Uh, question two, uh, diversity and inclusion. Um, so, Rowan, uh, Star Trek has been known for its commitment to diversity and inclusion, featuring a multicultural and multinational crew. Also, multi interplanetary maybe i don't know mm -hmm. um how do you think the show's portrayed of uh, portrayal of diversity has influenced real world conversations about representation in the media and society at large and sorry gents just before we do continue i'm so sorry i do need to bail it's been a great chat take care of yourselves Ron. i look forward to hearing your answers later and uh thanks for organizing reese have a good night hey Jules. um so i kind of covered a little bit of this in that first question about social commentary. Um, so it's always been quite an inclusive show. Um, there's never been, um, I've personally never walked away from that going, I do not feel represented in Star Trek um, as someone from the LGBT rainbow mafia. Um, it was, it was a good, a, a good thing, even though they didn't necessarily have representation at certain points in time of my, uh, mafia buddies, um, there was always, uh, I'd always feel like I was represented some way. Um, so to, to, uh, first of all, I, as I said, um, earlier, Michelle Nichols playing Uhura. Um, then you had, uh, George Takai playing, uh, Sulu. And then I cannot remember his name, but Chekhov is also another character, um, um that I mentioned earlier, um, from the original series. Um, and then uh, uh, the next generation had Guyan, uh, was in it for a little bit. You had Seven of Nine, who was representing um, that kind of other person um, because she was a, a, a Borg alien, that a human that had been converted to Borg and then kind of coming back. Um, you also did have that uh, episode where... Oh, episodes... Um, where uh, oh god I've totally blanked on his name Picard also became a Borg as well and his um, how that affected the crew um, in their uh, their thinking and their process and how they, as, a, as a diverse cast what what they did effectively um, Worf 
in uh, Generations as well. Um, so so what sure does the Borg represent then? In th- and not necessarily so, as an alien threat, but sort of thematically what do they represent? My, my understanding is that they're sort of about collectivism. Unionism, no. <laughs> uh, no, uh, they're, I would say their whole thing is they assimilate anything and anyone they come across. Yeah. Um, it doesn't matter what you are. You've got stuff they want. They'll just, you're, you're one of them now. They convert you into a, one of the collective, yep. which is what the, the Borg are, the collective. Um, and they just, they just take everything. Like, they take your technology, they take your um, your your resources, they take you, mm-hmm. and they just make you a drone, effectively. Um, that is what they are referred to as their drones, because there is a, a Borg queen, um, and she controls everyone with the hive mind. Yeah. Um, there are people that are people, drones that are higher up in that process, but she effectively controls everyone. So they, I would say it's kind of a, a commentary on um, like, I'm going to get cancelled for this one, <laughs> uh, but the American ideal being forced onto everyone. Yeah. So what America, like religion, um, white power, all that kind of jazz, like that whole a commentary on that, um, but done in a way that doesn't specifically call it out saying it's this is what it is um that is my personal take on it um and to be you know if once you're in the drones you're lost forever like you have no personality you have no you have nothing you have no family you've got nothing at all um there are aspects of people that are um bought out of the collective and no longer a drone so seven of nine um and picard as well uh in the um the picard series uh seven nine does come back in season two and she does do some stuff um where she takes on the ball queen and then also um one of the other characters in that show as well um ends up being the new ball queen um at one point too so yeah there's a there's a lot to the borg they just pillage, rape, destroy, assimilate everything. And in terms of inclusion, where, you know, something I've, I've, I have always found very interesting about Star Trek, and I think that it's a good example of what science fiction does well, is the way it can abstractly talk about an issue or a topic that gives a little bit of pause to prejudice. And mm. and you know, a good example would be um, you know, there are you know an, an earlier uh, original season Star Trek episode around um two alien races that were warring against each other, you know, one had their left half of their face painted black and the other had the right half of their face painted black and yeah, it was a, you know very much a it wasn't subtle, of course, but it by the very nature of it being science fiction, it sort of enables you to, you know, how can I put this? Um, it, it enables you to see past the, um, the superficiality of the character and how the character presents themselves and it goes more into sort of 
the onus of what the character actually is and who that person or that thing or that creature is. Uh, have you sort of found that with Star Trek and, and something I'd be curious about is that one of the one of the sort of challenges with sort of intersectionality in particular, and this might be something I'm more interested in with the later seasons, but how have you found that it's adapted to not sort of representing marginalized communities or people, but creating characters that are relatable to people who may not be the target audience for that character? Yep. Um, so I will, I'm going to talk about George Takai's character a little bit here because um, even though in the original series, there was never mentioned that he was a gay character. He was just a pan-American person. And some of you may have missed Reese. Um, he, George Takai was actually put in a concentration camp during the World War II for being um, Japanese descent um, oh. after they bombed Pearl Harbor. In, so in, Internment camp. Internment camp, sorry, not concentration, sorry. <laughs> yeah. That's the other guys in that war. Yeah, that was the other um, ones. This is the other mob. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so he was put in an internment camp in, I think it was uh, Orlando or somewhere like that. Yeah, it was um, and then after the war, he went back to California. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so George Takai's character in the original series was never written as a gay character. He's in the J.J. Abrams universe. Fine, whatever. Um, not super happy that they've actually specifically said it in that universe, but fine. Um, however, in the original series, he was written in such a way that could be interpreted that he was, but it was never actually said. So, um, but to, but to be fair though, George Takai gives absolutely no. <laughs> there's no one. He is. He's an out proud man. Yeah. We there's know no that. one questioning George Takai's heterosexuality. That's never really been in no, doubt. Never been a question. <laughs> however, when the show was airing, no one knew. Yeah, so he didn't yeah. actually come out until after. Yeah. Uh, but just the way in which he portrayed his character uh, as a Pan-American, he was a fencer, which, yeah. I'm sorry, all fencers are gay. Um, so just probably not, but... I fenced for 15 <laughs> years. <laughs> Reese, do you have something to tell us? Like, I wanted to be a Jedi. This... All right. Uh, um, so it all, hey, goes back, it all ties back to Star Wars, man. <laughs> Maybe all Jedi's are gay. Um, uh, uh, anyway. I'm sure um, there's some very deep fan fiction that goes into that. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> uh, I'll let you guys write that. Um, yeah, so, I mean, it, they do talk about, and they do have characters you can kind of relate to, no matter who you are, no matter what your race, religion, um, or gender, or sexual preferences. Like, there's someone in there somewhere that you can generally relate to. Yeah. Um, I think Discovery did a really good job with that. That's the most... Um, yeah, I think Discovery did a really good job with that. There was a few characters in there that were out and gay, but they just... It was just a thing. You didn't even... They didn't even say that they were gay, but you just... Like, they went home to their quarters for the night, and there was another character there who was also in the crew, and you're like, wait a second... Holy shit, they're husbands. I didn't even know. Yeah. Um, like, it just was, it's not even talked about. It's just life, effectively, which is something that I really enjoyed in that series for that reason. Um, and then also to have, a, like, um, a strong f female lead who wasn't actually the captain of the ship. Like, 
the whole show was based around a character that actually wasn't the captain, and that's never happened before in a Star Trek series. And that was, was like some of the fanboys went nuts about that. Like, how can you evolve, um, have an entire series around a character that's not actually the captain? Um, and then just it's so like, okay, we're watching this, this female here. He's quite a good female, quite kick-ass, like strong, tough, a little bit masculine and like, um, yeah, there's just so many things. So, so can I throw... And characters I can think of. Yeah, go for it. So can I throw something away Because I want to, um, yeah. I just want to tie... Your comment about the Borg and sort of Americanism has sort of tickled me a little bit. Um... <laughs> And, and, get that right wing side of you somehow. No, 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 no. Because this is where I think that why I actually find Star Trek to be oddly fascinating in a um, very bizarre sort of it, very bizarre sort of contradictory way. Because on one hand, I completely agree, and you know, and as right wing as I am, also support that there are messages in their stories that Star Trek is telling that need to be told and there needs to be mediums in which we can have conversations about things. Whether we agree or disagree, that's kind of irrelevant. That There should be a conversation or a dialogue about it. And I do, I have been continually impressed that for 60 years, Star Trek has been an exceptionally progressive and cutting edge show. And it's not just rehashing yesterday's battles. It is. Mm-hmm. It has been highly topical and talking about you know, I've, I've titled this episode Star Trek is the next frontier. It is talking about what's coming up next. And so I'm not completely oblivious or unaware of that in my sort of conservative Trump Tower. On the other hand, though, Rowan, Star Trek is also blatantly a American military vessel that is staffed by space aircraft carrier people. And it is mm-hmm. 100% pro-American military propaganda in the sense that it is about the beauty and the purity of the armed services and the value that that culture and society could bring with exploration. And so I don't want to sort of, you know, I, I, I don't mean to be too crude here, but that whole idea about the gay Navy thing really does sort of come into play a little bit <laughs> <laughs> with Star Trek. <laughs> well, I mean, that's the thing. Like, the, it's, the Star Trek is more Navy-like than Army or Air Force. Well, yeah, like, and that's that's it's it is it's more navy like. Okay. Um, so, like, if I could throw twelve points here, so for for one of sorry twelve points, the origin conceptually one of the origins of Star Trek is based around two facts, two two things. The first one is Sherlock Holmes, and mm-hmm. the relationship between um, uh, fuck, what's his, what's the names um Spock and Jim um. Kirk, yep. Kirk, thank you. Captain Kirk, yep. yeah. The relation, I got Jim before Kirk, sorry. The relationship between Jim and Kirk is effectively a recreation or a reimagination of the relationship between Holmes and Watson. But the relationship between Holmes and Watson is actually based on the relationship between Captain Cook and his botanist. And so there's a really interesting sort of parallel where thematically the story of Star Trek is almost an American reinvention of captain cook and the journey that the discovery went on and the enterprise went from actually literally called the enterprise isn't it went it on is, yeah <laughs> so, so uh, i do find it quite amusing that this this show that is so rightly progressive and rightly talking about things that should be talked about engaged in i uh, sort of done it in this guise of 
let's just say soft power military expansionism. <laughs> yeah, two things yeah, I have for you to back up your argument here. Uh, Federation headquarters is in San Francisco. Need I say more? Yeah. Um, secondly, in um, oh, I can't remember which one it's in, but there is. I know I'm pretty sure Picard has it in Next Generation. Um, the Enterprises. So he has a model ship of yeah. the Enterprise, Captain yeah. Cook's ship. Yeah. So, hundred percent. Yes. Absolutely. Um, uh, and it is like, if you're not uh, once, you know, there's the United Federation of the Planet, which is what um, the whole show is based around. Um, is it is literally a military uh, peacekeeping force. It is the UN peacekeeping, but a bit more militarized. Um, in my view, uh, like a bit more Americanized UN. So what America really wants the UN to be like. Um, uh, so yeah, so absolutely it is. It is a, a military organization. It is, um, and you, it is a, a, a service that you, you're in for life. Like yeah. it's, it's, everyone. It's, it's, it's almost fascist. It's part of it. It's almost yeah. fascist in its extent. It's the, 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 I think a parallel that's worth discussing is Star, is um, Starship Troopers to bring another star franchise into it. <laughs> the, the, there is a, and I, I think Starship Troopers, to be fair, I think that Starship Troopers does this better, but there is a, actually, there's a lot of similarities between Starship Troopers and Star Trek in terms of progressivism. Um, you know, Starship Troopers is a highly progressive society in which same sex equal sex relationships are fine. There's no real discrimination in terms of the, the sex barrier. Fundamentally, what it is, though, is that it's a brutal fascist dictatorship in which your value of a citizen is basically dependent on your ability to contribute to the machinery of the fascist state. Now, yeah. I'm, I'm not going to say that Star, Star Trek is that fascist because I, I don't know, but I, I, I do find it just amusing amusing <laughs> just amusing because it's like well we're all singing kumbaya but we're literally on an aircraft carrier with nukes like that's kind of <laughs> yeah that's kind of the ship we're all sailing on at the moment <laughs> yeah yeah it's true so um yeah no i i do agree that it is um definitely a um fascist-esque uh uh, show yeah. in terms of the the actual um, in universe story, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I don't. I, we could go. I could go into this way way further, but oh. I don't want to get into that nitty gritty of that. Um, purely because it's it's one of those ones where I'm just like, were they the victor in a great war and wiped out the other side? Therefore, we don't know the other side. So history is obviously written by the the winner. So is it all, you know, sunshine and rainbows? Who knows? I mean, fuck, their head office in uh, their head headquarters in San Francisco. So maybe it is sunshine and rainbows. Like we just yeah. don't know. Um, but who, we and we don't know what the other side would be. Like, you know, yes, there are people that don't like the Federation within in the the Federation of Planets um, on Earth and things like that. Um, but we don't really know too much about them. Yeah. So we can't. I can't comment on the other that whole how how you know what what history is there that uh, could be highlighting that even more so. Yeah, well, I mean, that's the if whole, there is fascism. Well, I mean, that's the whole yeah. Khan undercurrent. You know, the wrath of Khan. It's which I personally think is a 
beautiful Shakespearean movie. Like I, I genuinely love that that as a standalone science fiction film. I think Star Rafikhan is brilliant, but you know, I, I do, I just, I do find it intriguing the the balancing act that the Star Trek shows do do play because again, their universe is yes, fundamentally it is progressive and fundamentally it has been used as a platform to talk about issues that might be hard to package in a way that could get this sort of widespread appeal and, and audience saturation. But on the other hand, it, it is it is an extremely, I don't want to say puritanical because that's not correct, but it's an, it, it is an extremely Western-centric American view of the world and it's highly focused and predicated on maintaining a status quo within that universe. And yes, there is expansionism, which is to the prime directive and to discover and explore and all of that. But, you know, what comes after the Enterprise leaves? What yeah. happens once that planet has been mapped in mind? I'm not getting, I may be going a little bit down a, a rabbit hole. Watch with this Star one. Trek Discovery. Okay, yeah, I'm, I'm totally down for that. And then the thing is, I'm, I'm totally down for watching Star Trek. I just don't want to watch bad Star Trek. Yeah. Just- so, and, and this is the thing, right? So, uh, this is probably why uh, Discovery upset a lot of people because it was, uh, it was obviously set at the same time as yeah. uh, the original series. Um, it is, did things sorry, that- Discovery, is that the one that came out on Prime a few years ago? With yeah, it was originally net- Netflix. Netflix is it? Um, because they've got the captain who's a bit ambiguous in his side. Was it Iron Heart or something or Iron? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Um, I I do remember oh, watching the first season. Yeah. Of that. I quite liked it because it's got the um, it's got that mime dude um that does all of the the monster animation stuff. Is really cool. Uh oh, Doug. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it also has Michelle Yeoh in it, which was just she's. I'm sorry, I love fucking love Michelle Yeoh. I think she's amazing. Um, but yes, he's a bit. He's I love, a bit, yeah. I love that guy. I'm not going to say anything, but yeah. um, Star Trek Discovery does when it jumps 700, 900 years or something into the future. Yeah. It does show what happens when the Federation is not around. Yeah. And all that kind of stuff. So that I found really interesting when that they first did that and um, wanting to do that again, like you know. <laughs> The, the people that came from Discovery meeting up with the, the, the Federation and what it's become and being like, you are not the Federation. Like, what the fuck? Like, this is just weird. You don't help people. You don't do any of this kind of stuff. And then that is the, the season four is them getting back out there to try and get people to join the Federation and, yeah, not do it, not do it in a fascist way. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it shows you what happens when... Um, yeah, they're, and, they're not around. And maybe I'm using fascist in the wrong. I might be using. I might be guilty of using oh, fascist yeah. in the wrong context here. But the, the, no, I get what you mean, though. Like yeah, I understand what you're saying. It, it's, it, and I can't think of another word for it either. Like yeah, it's state-based militarism, yeah. effectively, um, or corporate state-based militarism. Well, very, very clear distinctions <laughs> between fascism and American American Americana. There, there are definitely clear distinctions between those two, but. Yeah, I, I there's 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 a soft imperialism to yeah. Star Trek, which I find hilariously at odds with the progressive aspects of the show, and I kind yeah. of I I find I think this, it's like I was gonna say I think it's one of those things that you know Roddenberry tried to do was try to be like like you know what we have a great a great country, but it could be better if we actually included everyone in it. Yeah, um, and that's 
probably why he was very much of the the view of we should include like yep. representation for everyone. Yep, hundred percent. I, I, I clearly think that I think that's what he thought. Hundred percent. Hundred percent agree with you, which is why I find it so funny that his vehicle for doing that was military power, because yep. that's where it comes to this other side of thing about well, what happens with the people that don't agree? That's where it becomes. Mm. That's where it becomes interesting. Um, but yeah, I, I, yeah. Sorry, let me just. I don't obviously. I don't want to derail and sort of go like you know too political. At least in that sort of sense, I just find it quite. I, I just find it quite amusing the sort of the balancing act that the show runs with one hand of themes, but on the other hand, it's backed up by what is clearly conservative war hawk military power. <laughs> it's very um. Yeah. Can I just say? Did like a previous version of you both write this show a hundred years ago? Like, is this is this like you come together and wrote this show? To, <laughs> because quite frankly, it's it's both of you. <laughs> just just shh, don't tell don't tell anyone. We've 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 uh, jumped forward uh, a few hundred a few years. <laughs> um and sorry. Yeah. No, no, no. No, no, I, I was just going to sort of go to, I, was, I want to ask you about some, some impactful episodes, but yeah, please, please sort of finish your... Um... I was just going to say, look, you know, we had this conversation and then we went, fuck, we could actually write a really good show and then went back in time, wrote the show to come back to do this podcast. Yeah, we just very stupidly, we forgot to, invest, we forgot to invest in ourselves and we ended up just as poor as yeah. we are today after creating one of the yeah. biggest shows <laughs> in history. I mean, it would be... Uh... I, I mean, I, I would find that... I, I would be interested in Star Trek if they did they did actually start or maybe they are doing it I don't know but I, I'd be curious if if this is something that they are sort of doing because one of the one of the sort of the big issues happening in society today is not necessarily the rise of right wing or the rise of left wing or wokeism or trumpism or whatever you wanted it whatever you want to sort of call it I think that one of the biggest issues is the separation of Oh, the sorry, the the discontinuation of conversation, and so you have you know if you, if you look in sort of American politics, Australia to a lesser extent, but very obviously within American politics, and because of what's happening with social media, there's there's a lot less overlap in conversation. There's a lot less overlap of political views because people fundamentally live in their ideological bubbles, and I, I would be I would be genuinely impressed if Star Trek actually sort of approached that. And if, are they doing anything in that space to kind of talk about that issue where? people that are inherently have more in common than they don't are not communicating. And so they're, they're drifting apart culturally. Yes. Okay, cool. Awesome. Uh, so, um, Oh my God. I've just totally blanked on one of the bloody races. Um, uh, yes, they have, I have done that. Um, and I really am blanking on the name of the races. So I'm just going to do a quick Google search because I cannot remember for the life of me. Um, oh, no. Now I've got it now. Um, the Vulcans and the Romulans. Okay. Yep. Are literally uh, polar opposite views on how things should be done. Yep. But they are actually the same race. Oh, okay. That's interesting. So, yeah. But it's you don't know that. In yeah. the earlier earlier series, yeah, you find that out later. Yeah, um, it's not until um, Discovery Voyager. Oh God, I can't remember. Um, but one of them is—it's literally like both their homeworlds are fucked. They're in 
and they're actually discover they are the same race, but they've just been separated for a period of time. They've got different culture and values and all that kind of stuff. So they do talk about okay, that. Okay, interesting. Um, yep. And there is um, there are characters that are Vulcan Romulan or even like Vulcan human as well, like Spock. Yep. Vulcan human, right? Mm. Um, similar views, not necessarily the same in terms of their um, uh, their actual culture. Yep. And what they... Like, you know, Vulcans are very no emotions. Humans are like, woohoo, we've got emotions. Um, and then there's a whole story of uh, Spock repressing his emotions. Well, it goes through all the series. Vulcans repressing their emotions and having outbursts because yep. the, the emotions just so bottled up and it just explodes. Um, then there's also... Um, what's the other one? Um... God, there's so many episodes. I'm trying to remember everything. Um, there, there has been a bit of commentary on people not seeing eye to eye about the same thing, yeah, um, or viewing it from a different, yeah, viewing it from a different point, but it's actually the same, same shit, different Thank day, yeah, yeah, and they how they then interact and um, uh, work together again. I think all the Star franchises do it. I'm pretty sure they'll do it. Stargate did it as well. Um, so it is a it is a social commentary. I think um, the the Vulcan Romulan thing that was a few years back now. Um, so I don't know I don't know how early they've been doing it for. Yep. Um, but absolutely, they've been doing stuff with their right left wing type iconography. Mm. Um, uh, and and they always seem to work it out in the end. They might be enemies for a while, but then, uh, like now, they're friends. Romans and Vulcans are the same. Because I've always found that to be the most interesting. Because that's what I find interesting about politics is that for nine times out of ten, um, you're you'll agree on the same thing with someone, but on that tenth issue, where there might even be agreement, but it's deviation in agreement, and mm. then entire political parties can form out of that. But then Absolutely. by the very yeah. nature of political parties, they need to platform and they need to broaden appeal. And that doesn't mean that they necessarily water down what their positions are. It means that they intensify the positions to the point where people start to barrack for their political party. Mm. And I, I just be that would be something I'd be very curious about within within Star Trek because, you know, there's fun, fundamentally there there are there is certainly a an audience for Star Trek that, like, because again, I look at it as American military expansionism um, and it's a US Navy vessel exploring unknown waters for want of a better description. It's it's US Navy vessel going into the Southern Ocean and the Pacific Ocean. Mm. Um, so I, I, just, I just do, I would, I'd be curious to sort of as to how much they're kind of recognizing that as an issue presently, but it's good that they're sort of, they are actually, that, that's, that's good to know. So yeah, so Star Trek Discovery is where this, they're sort um. of, Yep, and Star Trek Next... I've just Googled when yep. it happened. So, um, Next Generation and Discovery episodes. Okay. Um, yeah, so they talk about that kind of... The unific reunification of Vulcans and Romulans. Yep. So, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, there's even references in... Uh, the original series as well. Yep. And Deep Space Nine. Um, just the issues that they had and things like that. So, yeah. 
I mean, it's even saying that there's stuff in Picard, which I did not... Maybe I'm not up to that yet. I'm still behind on a season of Picard because there's just so many Star Trek to watch right now. Um, <laughs> the, I don't know what to watch when. Um, so I have heard from my, uh, my right-wing YouTube channels that the season three of Picard is extremely anti-woke. Uh, so I've heard that. So my, my, right, I've heard. my right-wing YouTube channels were praising season three of Picard, so... Yeah, maybe that's why I haven't picked it up yet. No. Um, I'm just watching too many other things at the moment. So many shows I'm watching. But anyway. Um, yeah, so that, that, it is talked about. Uh, it's just to pick a specific episode for you, I just can't. Because no, okay. there's, too, there's too many. No, that's okay. That's all good. Well, we might go on to the next one. We, we have kind of... The next question I have was sort of around impactful episodes, but I think we've kind of covered that a little bit in that last question. So yeah. j- just to sort of go across to the next thing science fiction is about technology and it's about mm. new technology solving problems and you know there's a um so i'll i'll, I'll, re- I'll read out the question and i was i just want to put one comment into it before i'll hand across to you rowan um but uh star trek often introduces future futuristic technologies that later become reality how has the show's portrayal of technology influenced our society's imagination and innovation and do you see any specific instances where star trek's vision of the future has come to fruition um i'll throw one one more point though which is um a quote from roddenberry which always tickled my fancy was that he was being asked by a fan how people on the starship should be drinking water and he responded by saying in a cup (laughs) <laughs> and so there's always that thing with, with technology where at a certain point, a cup and a fork and a spoon does the job just as well. And I like that Star Trek has never really gone too far away from elements of that sort of grounded practicality, even though they have laser guns and warp drives and stuff like that. There's always been that sort of undercurrent that, you know, we're not just necessarily going to a magic vending machine and getting Red Dwarf style food come out of it. Or maybe I could be wrong with that, but... Uh, so I was just sort of curious, like where, where have you seen the technology that Star Trek has has produced, which you could see real world inspira- influences today? Smartphones, yep. Smartphones, absolutely. Yep. Also, um, another, yeah. Also another American military invention, but that's okay. <laughs> no, that's, that's fine. Um, uh, yeah, absolutely. I think um, like Communicator, yeah, that's clearly the first one. I mean, come on, flip phones. That is the communicator from Star Trek. It's like the little flip. Yeah. Um, like I had a flip phone just because I was like, yeah, this is cool. Flip the phone, talk. Um, uh, also, like medical imaging um, is another big one. That's uh, something that was, um, I think, Star Trek has influenced how it's used. I, I don't know how far back medical imaging goes, but um, I would say that that's something. Um, um, diagnostic tools um, in terms of like you've got the number of sensors you have in your smartwatch now to yep. tell you your blood pressure all that kind of stuff um, <clears throat> uh, and then I'm really pissed we don't have VR like they have VR because that's fucking phenomenal um, that would be amazing if we had that uh, but yes we have like VR as well um, uh, what else uh I'm just I mean, trying to think. No, I find that the 3D printing just, is kind of Star Trek inspired, uh, like that. The repli- thank is it you. replicators? Is that what they they call yeah, it? Yeah. So um, replicators are Star Trek. Yeah. yeah. Um, Stargate. They're a different 
thing entirely, yeah. but we won't get into that. Um, but yes, yeah, so that was one of the things when you were talking, I was like, oh yeah, they're, they're food replicators. Um, absolutely. Like you go up and go like, Earl Grey with lemon and, you know, there's a cup yeah. produced with the tea in it. And it's like, okay, cool, great. Um, we're not at that level yet, but, you know, they are starting to produce uh, things that can print human organs. Yeah. Um, yes, we can print some like, plastic prop for your cosplay, but like, when will we get to the point where we can actually produce like that level? Who knows? But it is clearly something that is on the on the horizon. I would say, um, maybe not in this, you know, the next ten years, but you know, definitely in the future they'll have that. Um, uh, what else is there? There's. And we, yeah, we don't have transporters, but yes, you know, scientists are working on that, apparently. Um, who knows where they're up to in that point and if we will ever know until commercially ready. I do, I do love the, um, the sort of the, the, I, the joke slash conspiracy theory that every time they use one of those transporters, they kill the character and then the character gets reformed <laughs> and it's effectively a clone. I do, yeah. I do, I do like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, that is a big. It's never talked about, but yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> yeah, because um, like you can't, you physically can't yeah. move. <laughs> yeah. It just doesn't work. It doesn't work. Even for my brain, I just can't make that work. Um, uh, yes, there's been um, also you know influenced uh, other uh, scientists as well to do to research certain things. So the Alcubierre, I think I said that right. Drive. It's a warp drive. Yeah. That he's designed, so that mm, hasn't been built. Um, I think they did one that was like one micron big. They created the warp bubble for that, but you know, who knows if that would actually work? Um, we don't have uh, we don't have flying cars per se. We have planes. Not still, we have them forever. I can't really think of any anything. The only big ones I can think of is like the communication device. Um, and, uh, and like video conferencing and things like that. Like there is a new, um, wearable phone device that displays on your hand. So you wear it on your lapel. Yeah. Um, I think it's, uh, Hugh, uh, like the website is hu.ma.n or something. Anyway. Um, and you can buy it now for like 500 bucks or something and it tracks everything on you and it, you know, the call is displayed on your hand rather than on a, a screen. You don't have to carry it around. It's all, it, it searches your surroundings for, um, you know, where's, how do I get to, so, to my location? It will give you directions and it's a, a sound, sound bubble yep. that you can hear, but not many people around you can hear or something. I don't, I don't fully get it, but kind of looks cool. Um, looks like, you know, that could be the, the communicator that's on your, your lapel, but they tap. And what about talk. artificial intelligence? So data. That is a big one. Yeah. Data is a huge one. Even mm. um, the doctor on Voyager yep. um, was another... He's, a, he's another artificial intelligence. So um, data is a robot or an android, sorry, um, that is continuously trying to learn and trying to become human. Yeah. Um, the Borg Queen does give him skin... That's one of his little benefits for joining her. Uh, but in the end, he gets rid of it because he realizes that that's not what makes him human. Having flesh does not make him human. 
Yeah. It's how he reacts and responds to things. Um, I mean, there are many episodes talking about um, technology and the, the cost and um, artificial intelligence, um, AI programming and things like that. And, um, you know, the, the remote medical imaging doctor on Voyager was just a diagnostic tool, but because of Joe's MacGuffin, he had to be the doctor. Yeah. So he was a hologram that diagnosed people, and that was it. And they made him more so. Um, so there is, you know, AI diagnostics coming up now, like mm-hmm. um, you know, things that can read images, medical images, and things like that to find things that doctors can't see or don't recognize because they haven't seen it enough. Um, and data with his his intelligence and um, what he can do. And how quickly he can do things and compute things um, is absolutely something that's kind of starting to grow now. Yeah. Whether or not we get to that point, and you know, when when is a, a an AI alive versus not alive is a, a topic that is covered a couple of times in Star Trek. Like, wh- what is life and what is not life? So that is a big thing in generation because of data. Um, and then even uh, in Voyager, the, the Doctor being turned off when he didn't want to be turned off or being stuck on the ship by himself because they put everyone else into the buffer, the teleportation buffer, the good old save everything type move, um, uh, while they're traveling because, you know, they're 99 light years from Earth. 99 light years from Earth or something. Um, so... No, not no, no. Yeah, it would take them 99 years to reach Earth. Um, so a couple, at one point, they get put into the buffer to save themselves. But, you know, would, they, would their family be there when they get back? That's yeah. another, another conversation as well. So that's, um, that concept is based on a book called The Forever War, which was written as a... Um, it's sort of written as a... Not a companion piece to Starship Troopers, but it was it was written in response to Starship mm. Troopers, and effectively, the Forever War Matt is a um, it's it's about uh, a group of soldiers that need to go fight some aliens, and they they take off and they go on the first campaign, and by the time they come back, it's they've travelled at light speed, but Earth has evolved at the same time. So by the time they come back, they're five years older, and everyone sorry, they're the same age, and everyone's five years older. Then the next campaign, it's 30 years. Um, they're only gone for 12 months. When they get back, it's 30 years back on Earth and mm-hmm. so on so forth. And then it kind of gets to the end of it where, you know, spoilers, but it turns out that the war was a mistake in the first place and they've been gone for so long that humans have evolved to the point where they're actually able to communicate with the aliens and everyone makes peace and is happy. But these people have spent what could what is only... 10 years of their life but it's a thousand years in human years and so there's a whole thing about you know the more they go away and the more they they sacrifice for who they're fighting for the less connected they become to the people back at home that they're actually doing this for so does star trek sort of ever really go into that sort of theme that you know the distances that they're traveling actually means that it's not that they're losing two years but time is comparatively moving quicker back on mm. earth do they really do they go into that sort of idea of relativity um not in the main kind of story of the sea the um the show but there are places that they visit yeah where time is different yeah um and it is sped up or slowed down or whatever it might be um 
so there's, there's there is that aspect, but in the main story, it's just time just passes as per normal. Yeah, because that's it's a TV show; it has to. How yeah. <laughs> else do they explain yeah. it to people? Yeah, um, but they do have uh, episodes where that that does happen. So um, places uh, evolve faster because of the, the time dilation, um, which is something they use a little bit. Yeah, uh, frequently is time dilation. Um, whether that be because they're near a black hole or the di- the dilithium crystals, which is the, the stuff that powers the warp core, um, if that's leaking and whatever. And then there's, in Discovery, they're talking about um, are they time crystals. I forget what they're called, but effectively same kind of thing. Yeah. Okay. Well, last question, Rowan. Ethical Ever. dilemmas and morality. Now, the thing I'd like about Star like the thing I do like about Star Trek, and this is probably more the sort of Spock Kirk type stuff, but you know, um, they can set you know, there's a from Star Trek to the volcano is going to explode. Oh, sorry, the second JJ movie, the volcano is going to explode. We can save the people, but in saving the people, we violate the Prime Directive, and that means that we effectively have changed the course of natural history mm. now again there's a very imperialistic literally darwinism component to that like blatantly darwinism component to that but so just putting that to one side star trek does seem to have a good tendency of almost at a shakespearean level just talking about moral drama and moral complexity and you know, what is right or wrong in the short term compared to the long term. And so yep. I'd just sort of be curious as to, you know, if you can think of some s- scenarios or some examples of the show that you think that it's done particularly well at, at making you think about, well, is this actually right or wrong? Yeah. So there's there's one that I can think of that's more recent than most, which yeah. is um, uh, Doug Jones's character in Discovery, which is Saru. Yeah. Um, he is a... Um, a life form from a planet where the dominant life form on that planet actually eats them um, before they get to a certain age. Yeah. Um, and the that's this whole like, effectively, I'm going through. I'm about to go through puberty. Uh, I've got my little tendrils come out, and I'm going through about to go through puberty. Um, so I have to go and offer myself to these things um, because I become a, a feral beast type situation which that is their culture that's what they've been told for eons and eons and eons um and then it's because saru is the first ever character of this race on a starship they're kind of like why do you have to do that but why like what's what's the big deal like why, why do you why do you have to do this and he goes to this ethical dilemma of what do i follow what i'm what i know and what i've been told as uh, growing up or do I hang with my buddies and just go through this process and see what happens? Um, mm. Surprise, surprise. He sees what happens. Um, and then there are um, repercussions to that. Um, but that, that, uh, that culture is now fully accepted into the Star Trek um, uh, universe. Uh, but it was a... It was a big um, issue of letting him go through that process. Would they, wouldn't they? Would he, wouldn't he do it? Um, 
That's the first one I can think of. So, sorry, wait, so, sorry does he eat someone? No, no. So it's not him. Oh. He would get eaten by this other because they, oh. they're not they're not the big oh, okay, yeah, sorry, yeah. predators on the planet. It's another another um, creature. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway. Uh, yeah. So that's that's the first one that I can think of straight away off the top of my head. Is you know, uh, is he allowed to make that decision for himself, or does he have to do that because that's just what is expected of him? Yeah. Um, so that's uh, the initial one that I can think of. I think another one would be um, when you go back to the original series and you're talking to like, um, like it's Kirk, Kirk and Kirk and Spock. They go back to Depression era, like time travel, because yeah. you know Star Trek. It's a star. It's a Star Transfers. It's going to have time travel. They use warp cores. Um, uh, so they travel back to 1950, uh, the Depression era of the US, and um, and things get changed by accident. So then, what are the repercussions on the future from them changing that in the past? Yeah. Um, so there's there's those kind of things like you know how how much do they and that again is coming into the um, uh, I want to say like the the colonization type of, not colonization, but, you know, you're changing a culture. How is that going to affect them in the future? Like, would they still be the same or, or would they, would they get to that point? Um, cause uh, yeah, as you say, like earlier, the, the prime directive is, is to go out and discover, but don't interfere with anyone who's not of warp capabilities. Like that's, that's the no go zone. So if they don't have warp capabilities then you're not supposed to interact with them. And there are things like, you know, there's there's a planet that's going to be destroyed. You know, do, do you help them? Yeah. Um, like, would you let that whole civilization die because they're not at warp capabilities and you save their culture? Like, there are those kind of tough-ish questions. Um, and then there's, there's discussions about um, uh, gender and... Um, and I forget, I think it's in, I want to say it's in the next generation where it's effectively an entire population of children yep. who are, um, oh, no, uh, yeah, it is next generation. Um, uh, her name is Kess, um, and they live to the age of three. But in that time, they've matured to, I think it's three years of age, they've matured to an adult size. So, like, what is that? Can she have relationships with someone who is of our age, even though she's only three years old? Or um, how does she? How do they prolong her life? And I think she ends up living to seven or something. I think. Um, and she was uh, seven of nine. The Borg, the sexy Borg. She was. She replaced her uh, in the show, and they introduced her, and then she left. Anyway. Um, I think that's how I went. Yeah, test my yeah. memory of these these episodes. But there's so many things in there about the morality of um, when it's when to do things and when not to do things. So um, Picard had a good uh, storyline in the first season where the original creator of, of Data um, was trying to uh, save his daughter, but in trying to cure the disease. He's created multiple 
clones of her. And this, I think the girl in the, the show was, you know, the 10th or 11th or 12th clone of his original daughter, but he still couldn't yeah. save her from this disease. So mm-hmm. when is she able to live her own life? Because he's trying to still save this, his child that he's, doesn't exist anymore because she's already died. But like, at what point does she get her own autonomy to go and do what she wants to do when she has no idea what's going on yeah. at all, this whole thing? But there's just so many different mold quandaries across all the series that there's generally something in there that will make you think about how you would react to in certain situations and how you normally would react is questioned at, at the same time as well. Yeah. So you would see something on TV and be like, yeah, I totally do. And you're like, oh, hang on, is that actually the right thing to do there? Like, should I not be thinking about X, Y, and Z as well as A, B, and C? Okay. Well, oh, thanks, Matt. Well, last question, because I think we're coming up to... I had a question, I think. Oh, sorry, Matt, sorry. I completely forgot what I was going to ask. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're, we're, we're coming to about 90 minutes now, so I'm going to ask one more question. Um, where would you recommend someone to start with Star Trek if they've never watched it before? Oh. Because, again, the, you've got... Obviously, like I, you've got the J.J. Abrams movies, that those mm. three films, which I think are a good... They're, I, I think that they're a good sort of taste of Star Trek because it does hint at what the show does, but I don't think that they're a particularly good reflection of what makes Star Trek so endearing um, because mm. they're too... They're too Star Wars-y. Um, so where would you kind of recommend, if you if you had to say, okay, in order to appreciate and understand Star Trek, this is where to start? That's a really good question, Reese. Um, it's... Uh, it kind of depends upon if you want to... I would, I would. Sorry for the silence, guys. No. Just thinking about this. I would probably say, Next Generation is quite good. Yep. It does look. It looks a little bit dated, but the storylines in which it has throughout the series is actually, I think, some of the best um, stuff that they've done. Uh, um, obviously, the original I'm series sorry, is Next quite, Generation is Picard. Yeah, when Picard was actually in it in the nineties. Yeah. Yep. Um, uh, so I think that's really good. And then I think following that, you'd go to Voyager. Yeah. Because um, that kind of follows on from Next Generation. Um, and it's the first kind of show with a ship that is not an Enterprise ship. So that's, it's called, the ship is called Voyager. So it's, it looks different. It's got a bit of a different feel, um, but it's actually quite good. And Captain Janeway is amazing. Like she's a really good captain. Um yeah, and the, but if you just want something like kind of fun, not too heavy, I would say Lower Decks. Yeah. Lower Decks is amazing. Um, and the, there are crossovers between Lower Decks and Stranger New Worlds, which sounds weird, but the characters from Lower Decks, the actual cartoon characters and the people that do the voices for those characters actually get brought into Stranger New Worlds. Okay. And they weirdly actually look like their characters, which is just bizarre that these people that voice them actually do look like them in real life and it's and weird it, and in strange new worlds is that serious star trek or is that campy star that trek? is uh i think serious i mean it's more like the original series yep 
But I don't think it's as campy as the original series. I think the original series is just campy because of when it was made. Yeah, yeah. Personally. Yeah, like, it's competition it's just, was it's a, Adam West Batman. You know, yeah, it's it a product of its time. Yeah. Um, so I think, yeah, Strange New Worlds is actually quite good. Actually, if you wanted something modern, I would go with Strange New Worlds. Okay. Like, visually it's good. Um, the, the, the characters are good. Ahura is in that one as well because it is... The Enterprise before Kirk becomes the captain. Yeah. So Spock is in it as well. Oh, who's, um, who's, who's playing Spock? I can't remember his name, but um, yeah, it, Spock is in. Is it the movie Spock or is it? No, 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 no. Um, Off-brand Spock. Uh, kinda. Um, Ethan Ethan Peck. Oh, okay. Plays Spock. Um, Anson Mount is a good um, Captain Pike. So Captain Pike um, yep. had the ship before Kirk. Yeah. Um, and he died. We know how he died, so we know how he's going to die in the the show when they actually get to that part. Um, so, yeah, so there's... Uh, yeah, it's it's a good show. I really enjoy it. It is like original, but it's updated. Awesome. Well, yeah. No, awesome. Right, so Strange New Worlds is where you'd recommend to sort of, if you wanted to... I do want to watch Picard, but I'm worried about Picard. Do I need to actually watch Next Generation to appreciate Picard? Yes. Yeah, okay, yeah. That, that, that's why I haven't watched Picard yet. Yeah. Um, um, there was a whole big thing about, you know, getting um, certain characters back and um, Patrick Stewart went on to, is it The View? The show that will be, the talk show will be Goldberg's on. Yeah. Um, and there was this whole thing about, oh, why haven't you asked me to come on to, you know, why haven't you had me on the show? And he goes, well, actually, that's why I'm here today. I want to ask you to come up to season two of Picard. Um, so she got into season two of Picard as well. So, hmm. yeah, but basically the entire next gen cast has come back for Picard, not necessarily in the same season, but they're all come back. And even Riker does the Riker move, and which is something you need to Google. Okay, fair um, <laughs> It's just how he sits on a seat because he, um, the actor, had issues. Yeah. With his lower back or something, or his leg or something at the time. But so he sits in seats really weirdly. Yeah. Yeah. He throws his leg over the back of the chair and sits down. Yeah. Fair enough. It's weird. <laughs> it's weird. But it's called the Riker move. Yeah. Well, anyway, yeah. Awesome, man. Well, thank you so much for tonight. It was, uh, this, was, this was a lot of fun. Thanks, Sarah, uh, for doing heavy lifting for this one. Do you have any, any last questions, Matt? Yeah, uh, I've completely lost what I was going to ask. And, uh, <laughs> Text me. Um, I'll, I'll message you. <laughs> but yeah, th- thanks for that. Dude. That was um, that was actually really good. Really good. I actually want to start watching some Star Trek. So, cool. As I said, lower uh, deck. All of my friends that also watch Star Trek, uh, we all rate Lower Decks. Like I cannot sing its praises enough. It is a great show. And just to have a crossover with that and Strange New World is it was just fucking weird but amazing at the same time. Oh, awesome. There's a lot, a lot of fan service in that too. Well, all right, we've done the Star Trek one now, so I promise the next one we're going to do is Stargate. But I want to, I want to talk to you a bit about Stargate and how we're going to approach that because I have a, I have a very deep love in my heart for Stargate. Um, but I kind of, right, so there's a next episode I've got planned at the moment is um, an episode where we're going to talk about rocks. Um, cause I want to talk about, uh, pyramids. Um, and so it's going to be a very rock heavy episode. Um, 
But one of the things I want to kind of touch on that episode is uh, I want to talk about ancient aliens because I, th- I think that we can't we can't have a conversation about how the pyramids are built without Eric von Danigan's chariots, you know, chariots of the gods. Um, yeah. And I, I do want to have a conversation about ancient aliens, but I kind of want to use that as a bit of a launch pad to prep for the next episode on Stargate um, yep. because Stargate was doing ancient aliens before it was popular. Um, and arguably it yeah. popularized the concept of ancient aliens. So yeah, I, um, yeah, that's kind of my my forward planning at the moment for the next two episodes this month before Christmas. <laughs> so brilliant. That's good, dude. Awesome. No, but thank you so much for, for tonight, Rowan. Thank you, Matt. Um thanks Julian for uh, for joining us. Um but yeah, I'll I'll stop recording in a second. Yeah, you guys hang around. Thanks, guys. Awesome.